Welcome to another episode of Seemingly Ordinary. I'm here today with Emily Kaufman. She is a leader, a scholar, and an adventurer. She's only 24, yet she has a master's and a bachelor's in accounting already, and she was in the KU Business Leadership Program, and she studied abroad in Slovenia. However, despite this incredibly rigorous course of study over six years, she's found time to take mission trips to Peru, she got super involved in the Catholic Center, and she mentors four women. And she also has cool hobbies, and she's about to embark upon a new adventure in life. And I really can't wait to talk to her about it. So hi, Emily. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Well, I'm, I'm just delighted to have you here. Um, so there's just so much about you. You sent me all these details, and I, I just flat out don't even know where to start. <laughs> So, hey, could you just maybe tell me, what are you passionate about in life? Okay, yeah, this, that's a good question. I think, like, if I had to sum it up, it would just be the people in my life, like all of the meaningful relationships with family and friends that, um, yeah, cultivating those relationships and um, sharing life with people, I feel like is mostly what I'm passionate about. And there are different passions woven into that, but mostly just people. You know, the older I get, it just hit me like a freight train the other day that people usually get passionate either about goals or they get passionate about relationships. Mm -hmm. And I thought, gosh, you know, if you were, I don't know, J.D. Rockefeller and you were 97 and you had a billion dollars or whatever the guy had, I think like in the modern equivalent, it's like $700 billion, something ridiculous like mm -hmm. that. He's like Musk and Bezos put together plus more. But if you didn't have any people around you, I mean, isn't that kind of the whole point of the Christmas carol with Scrooge and all that? Yeah, you know? absolutely. It really is all relationships. Yeah, so hopefully we'll, we'll kind of get into yeah. some relationship type talk a little bit later. Um, childhood. Let's just back up and give people kind of a sense of what kind of a kiddo you were. Okay, so growing up, I tried to get myself involved in every possible activity I could. I'd say I was... Um, a little bit of a strong-headed, uh, driven, uh, competitive personality. I, I think I played like seven sports at once and uh, was really involved in art and music and all the good things. So, yeah, I, I wanted to be the best at things. I wanted to um, work hard and just be involved in whatever I could. I played, yeah, all the different sports, all the activities. Okay, that kind of, kind of blows my mind. Sorry to interrupt. Um, seven sports. What were they? Were you any good? Um, okay, let me see if I can name them. I, I played basketball, track, volleyball. I did swim team, softball, soccer. Maybe it was six. Oh, gymnastics. I did oh. gymnastics, so I, I think I did do seven. Okay, um, which did you like the best? Um, well, the ones that lasted the longest in my in my athletic career were basketball and track, which is what I played through high school. But um, I did a lot of gymnastics growing up until about seventh or eighth grade, and then I just got too tall. Um, and then basketball and track were my main high school sports. So. Wait, is that a thing? People get too tall for gymnastics? Why is yeah. that? A, I don't know much about gymnastics. We didn't have it. So I did I did tumbling and trampling, so it was a little bit different. But I. Like I just got too tall to the point where it was getting really hard on my joints. Oh. Um, so I think it I think it helps um, 
to be a little shorter just when you're flipping through the air and landing and stuff like that. Okay, but so that actually is a thing. Yeah, I think so. See, I always felt like, okay, I, I really got into fitness. I did, I don't know, a bunch of rounds in mm-hmm. P90X, and I loved P90X. I ran 51 marathons. If I had it to do over again, I think I'd run three. And then yeah. I would do like the year of CrossFit after that, and then maybe the year of something else. I don't know. Uh, I, I think just more variety would have been good. I'm more into weightlifting now. Um, but I just always thought of gymnasts as the ultimate athletes. Absolutely. I mean, I guess if you look at like all the Olympic gymnasts, they're all pretty short. So I Are think they? that does, yeah, like around five foot, some under five foot, but, um, totally. I agree. I think that I, I mean, I couldn't have done much more diversification in high school, but okay. now that I'm in college, I wish I would have done a little bit more diversification in sports so it wasn't so hard on my body because uh, I've had yeah. like a lot of hip issues like I had two hip surgeries this year actually are so, you serious yeah so I I've recently gotten into a lot of Pilates which okay. has been really good for just strengthening the littler muscles and not okay. it's like super low impact so that has been really good for it's me. it's kind of like yoga isn't it um it's kind of a little sort yeah, of kind of um it's on what's called a reformer machine but that's that's a whole nother podcast explaining okay Pilates, but, yeah. <laughs> okay okay yeah sorry I could dovetail off into fitness for like an hour yeah. so that's probably not the yeah. smartest move <laughs> so you said you also did artsy things yeah I so growing up I played um three or four instruments I was in choir and band um I loved painting drawing um Emily it's it's like you got an IQ of like 150 and oh you sleep gosh. three hours <laughs> a night yeah, I don't you? know about that but um yeah I I just kind of dove right into all of it okay but. Was there an instrument or art field that you liked the most? I think uh, in the present, the one that I keep up with the most is piano. I okay. can't really read sheet music anymore, but um, I think there's something in my family where I can play songs by ear and so can my dad and one of my brothers can too. So that is kind of fun sometimes. It's kind of just like a cool party trick for people to to play a song and then I try to, well, I'll try to play it by ear, but... Yeah, piano is probably what I keep up with the most. So what's your go-to song on piano? Oh, gosh. Whatever someone asks me to play. I don't know if I have a... Seriously? Yeah, I could I tell have... you something and you could just tap it out? If I if I know how the song goes, yes. Okay. Okay. I don't know. How about uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Yes, I probably could. Um, Octopus's Garden by the Beatles? Um, yes, probably, if I can remember how it goes. But um, This one by Mozart. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Yeah. Okay. So I could do something in the ballpark of how it sounds. I don't know if it's going to be like officially accurate, but I could do something similar. Okay. Okay. Hey, on with your hip and everything, are you going to make a full recovery, like 100% recovery? Hopefully. I I haven't been able to run in almost two years, so that okay. has been kind of a bummer. So we'll see. I've, I've kind of found joy in doing like a lot of other types of exercise, so that has been good. But, yeah, it, it kind of stinks like – not being able to do a lot of the things I used to be able to do, but hopefully I'm just taking it one day at a time. I bet you'll bounce back. Hopefully. I seriously (laughs) do. I have a friend, I'm just going to tell you an inspiring story. His name is Tom, and uh, he was like really into running and biking and swimming, and he was thinking, oh, someday I'd like to do a triathlon. So this is like in maybe high school. And uh, so he he has knee problems. He goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, you know, you're never going to be able to do any of those things. And uh, he says, really? And the doc says, well, you might be able to run a mile. And so then when I knew Tom, uh, he had completed five half Ironmans. He had done marathons all over the place. 
Uh, ultimately, he did a full Ironman. He came in first in his age bracket. Uh, and then later he did a second Ironman. Um, so, I mean, the guy's just a beast. Yeah, that gives me some encouragement. I think <laughs> I'm at a point mentally where I've accepted just what my body can do now. But that, I mean, I'm definitely hopeful that someday maybe I could run again, maybe do a marathon. I've done I've done two halves. But oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. So okay. okay. We'll see. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Okay. So in high school then, were you um, like straight A student plus athlete then plus artist? Kind of, sort of. So I'd say growing up, I, so right from the get-go, I was kind of placed into the gifted program okay. in grade school. Um, and so I think in the long term, that might have reduced my discipline slash organization because I could maybe rely on my own smarts a little bit when I was younger. So coming into high school, I'd say I on the organizational slash like discipline end of things was pretty behind because I was just so used to just trying and doing well. And so that kind of like came back to bite me a little bit in high school um, in my classes. And there was a, a lot of laziness, a lot of last minute hurrying around that happened for me that kind of didn't resolve itself till probably my sophomore year of college, if I'm being honest. But uh, I, did, I did well in high school and um, yeah, it was it was fun being involved with a lot of different things. Okay, so I'm I'm coming at the this from the point of view of a compulsive straight A nerd OCD type student, you know, who you know had like a three nine in high school. There was no weighted grades, so four and you know valedictorian in my class. But there was only thirty two kids, and nobody else wanted to make a speech. So they were like, ha ha, you got to make a speech, sucker, <laughs> you know. But I was just such a straight A driven. But you seem like that way yourself. So like when you say procrastination last minute just from what you're saying you're taking on every tough class you're involved in multiple sports you're involved in all of these artistic things and you know it seems to me like you're doing what you think you're capable of doing like you instinctively think oh I can handle all these things and I feel like you did yeah I think I did like pretty well um a lot of the artistic stuff like music and um, art kind of took a backseat once I got to high school. I did a few art classes, which was nice, but, um, yeah, I, I did well, but there were definitely areas where I needed to grow for sure in terms of, yeah, just doing things at the last minute and rushing around and well, I'm just wondering, well. it's just so many things. Yeah. How, how do you expect to do all of that? You're yeah. like Teddy Roosevelt or something, you yeah, know, like 3 point. million things. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, I've gotten better just the older I've gotten, and I know okay. I'm still very young, but okay. yeah, it's, it's taken time for sure, but I think I'm in a good place now. I think so. you've done a good job. You have a master's degree by the time you're 24 years old. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that's terribly common. Yeah, I in the in the School of Business um, for accounting, they, they really encourage you to do the five-year master's program, which it's nice because it's only one year of of graduate studies, okay. but in order to take the CPA exam, you have to have 150 credit hours. So that was my motives in doing my master's immediately after I got my undergrad was okay. so that I could take the CPA exam. Oh, that's smart. The certified public accounting exam. Did you do that one? So I'm in the middle of it now. So I have, there's four sections of it and I've passed two of them. Okay. And I just took my third one yesterday, actually. Oh my gosh. So, How do you feel? Um, I don't know. I don't know if you can feel really good after those things, but I feel I feel relieved that it's over. Okay. You feel relieved that it's over. Yes. Do you think you passed? It's so hard to tell because it's a four and a half hour test and 
by the end of it, I feel just pretty exhausted. I bet. Um, and it's hard to gauge just how I did, like, on the other two. Like, when I got my score back, I could not have predicted how I did based on how I felt after the test. So okay. um, I don't feel completely horrible, but also don't feel awesome. So we'll mm. just see. I, I think I'll find out in, like, a month or so. When they say four-hour test, um, how comprehensive is it? The reason I'm asking is because, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, if they just repeat the same type of problem over and over again, that would probably be easier because you yeah. just do the same thing. But if they're hitting you with just every single nook and cranny of accounting and it's like four hours of variation. Totally. It'd be I, brutal. Yeah. So um, they all vary in um, the level of, being comprehensive, but the first test I took, it took me about seven to eight weeks to study for, and then uh, the past two that I've taken took about a month oh my of gosh. like eight-hour days. So it is like a full-time job. That, You're studying eight hours a day. Uh, on good days, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's hard to do. It, it, it was even hard. For an, even yeah. for a good student. Totally, it was hard, and it still is hard. But I, yeah, it. For the master's program that I'm in, it's cool because they end classes at the end of March so that people can start studying for the test full-time, which is nice. Mm, um, okay. I started a little bit earlier, but yeah, it it's definitely, you need to really commit to it or else it will cut it will come back to bite you if you're not prepared, but gotcha. so far, so good. Gotcha. Well, I feel like that's what actually happens with really good students like yourself is that you rely on high IQ points for as long as you can. And then at a certain point, like the rooms just keep getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. And what I, I majored in math. That was one of my majors. And so when you start off, like say in Calc 1, there could be 25 people in a class. And then just as you keep going, by the time you're in your junior year and you're about two years ahead of Calc 1, then there's maybe eight people in the room. And it, the rooms just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And just all those people with naturally high IQs, um, they can do fine if they learn to study. And if they don't learn to study, then it, it's just, it's really ugly. Yeah. Then, I, then they make like what they call one legged A, which is where you take off yes. one of the sides of the A and you have an F. Yes, kind of. <laughs> I, so yeah, I, I think the turning point for me was really after a little bit of a rougher freshman year academically. It still wasn't bad, but I could have done way better. And it's because I, I barely studied and didn't do my homework as much as I should have. So I think that was the point where I'm like, okay, I need to decide if I actually want to, to learn these soft skills of of time management, scheduling, mm. discipline, and uh, it kind of came at a time where it was a little bit forced rather than voluntary, but yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm just curious, but how do you make that transition um, from, hey, I just rely on high IQ and all that to, okay, now it's a grind. Like, how do you, how do you make that adaptation? Yeah, I feel like, um, for me at least, it came at a time where I just was seeing that the way I was living my academic life was a little bit unmanageable in okay. terms of uh, my time management skills. And so I was forced with the repercussions of how I'd been living. And then from there, I just kind of had to start turning it around. Um, so that Did was, it just seem obvious to you that, yeah. okay, what I need to do is I need to write all the schedule on a sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. I need to prioritize, have ABC. So it's actually very simple yeah. that the problem is, is doing it. Yeah, totally. I think the turning point for me was having a lower GPA my second semester okay. of freshman year, which it's only gone up from there, but it, that was like a kind of a little bit of a wake up wake call up that call. I need to 
get my act together a little bit, but it, it happened, and I'm I'm definitely merciful towards myself because I know it's just all a part of growing up. But okay, it's I want to I want to ask a big picture question about that. Um, then I want to ask you about your faith life. But if you don't mind, I just like would just like to detour into this freshman year thing just a little bit. So um, I taught college for twenty years, but you know you really don't kind of see like what the student's social life is like necessarily because you sort of teach the class and you maybe chit chat with the students. But, you know, if you're say 38 years old and they're 18, they're not really telling you like, what is my freshman year like? But recently I've, I've had the opportunity to kind of see uh, what people's freshman years are like. And it, at least in this one college I'm thinking of, it's kind of a cliche that the freshmen just kind of go hog wild they're just kind of like, hey, all the restraints have been lifted. There's no mom and dad. There's no curfew. There's no discipline. I can stay out till 4 a.m. I can keep staying out until 9 a.m. the next day. You know, I can, like, drink my weight in alcohol, just all of these various things. Um, it's like they go crazy. And, of course, there was always that statistic that one out of four college freshmen flunk out. And and just I, I've been teaching for decades. I, I've I've never met somebody who can't handle college. I always feel like everybody's got enough intelligence to handle college. Um, it's really more of a, I don't know, lifestyle or behavior question instead. And I don't know, do you want to say anything about, you know, like freshman year versus sophomore wake-up call? Yeah, totally. I think a lot of what you said is pretty accurate. I went to, so I went to the University of Kansas, which is a very large public institution um, in Lawrence, Kansas, very very secular, very crazy at times. Um, and yeah, I think I definitely experienced a lot of what you're talking about coming into freshman year. Um, just this newfound sense of freedom and okay. knowing that I could do whatever I want was super attractive to me at first. And yeah, I definitely got involved with all college had to offer okay. at first. Um, um, it's yeah. a whole separate education. Totally. Yeah. I, so I did immediately get involved with a sorority at KU, which honestly was an, yeah, an was amazing, that? it was an amazing part of my college experience. Like I made some of my best friends and actually through my sorority was kind of how I got more involved with my faith ultimately. But, oh. um, you definitely are, are thrown into slash offered a lot of, uh, everything immoral opportunities yeah. yes <laughs> so, it's kind of endless yeah you know yeah and that was definitely my, the the gist of my freshman year was really getting involved with the party culture at KU and just staying up far too late skipping class. like it was just a mess like a, like an immature time in my life which but I was I didn't really know anything different because that was what everyone around me was doing which right. is totally not like my reasoning like I can make my own choices but yeah I, I thought that all of that was what was going to make me happy and okay. I went after it for sure like all of the just the poor time management staying up late like it all just kind of had a ripple effect on everything else so you know this this might tie into the faith question it might not just take it wherever you want to take it but you said that okay the party crowd somehow maybe led you into maybe a re reawakening of your faith life um, and then I'm, I'm just also curious, like, what made you get 
tired or exhausted of the party thing because honestly I've known 32 year olds who are still in it Mm -hmm. you know they would move to a city like Lawrence which has what 30,000 college students and not necessarily enroll in classes they would just like find a couch that they could sleep on yeah and I mean they're like 32 years old and they've been doing this for like 14 years, which is roughly half of their life. So what made you decide, oh, hey, the party crowd, eh, I just don't care anymore? Yeah, and I think, like, a common misconception is, like, for people who don't choose to party anymore is that they, they that means that they don't like to have fun. I definitely love to have fun, go out with my friends and, like, have some drinks. Like, that is not totally, that is not what I'm against at all. But freshman year, it was, it was a little carried away, for sure. Yeah. And, yeah, I think especially coming out of St. James, which was like such a community where I feel like everyone was known. People knew your family. People knew where you came from. Um, it was it was hard for me freshman year. I think a lot of what stemmed from it was I was really homesick too, which is mm. it kind of crazy because I was only 45 minutes away and my dad worked in Lawrence. But I think just the big transition from being in a place where I was super known, super cared for, my teachers knew me, my parents' friends knew me, into this environment where I was just like, it was just me and all these people who didn't know who I was, where I came from. And so um, I think the party culture and the way I was living my life just kind of amplified all those feelings of loneliness. Oh, yeah. When when you're out with people and everybody is drunk, you can't build meaningful relationships that way. No, no, they don't remember. No. You can confess your entire life story and all of your deep secrets and all of your fears and failures, and then you know, the next day, they don't remember. Yeah, so all those, theme, all those things seem super fun in the moment, but then the aftermath of that, I feel like just left me feeling a lot more lonely and lost and isolated. Okay. And so I think that, I mean, it, it might have been a year-long, year-and-a-half-long lesson for me to figure out, but okay. I think, yeah, just my sophomore, junior year was when I kind of realized that, like, it's just not worth it and not putting me on the, the path that I, like, desired to be on to make good friends in college yeah. and people who actually know me and love me and care about me. So yeah. I think that was really the turning point. I, sh- I should probably back up and explain. Okay, so you came from St. James Academy, and it's kind of a small town in the sense that maybe it's got somewhere between 850 to 940 students at any given moment. And then, I mean, I, I came from a small town. My small town had 800 people in it. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's backstory. Everybody knows everybody else's family. Um, When somebody brings their cousins in from out of town, everybody knows their cousins from out of town. Um, People become really, really close. Um, You know, and then the thing is, is if you are in that type of situation, you sort of think this is normal, this is natural, this is how maybe everybody has it, or maybe you're not really thinking about everybody. And so there's all these wonderful virtues that come with this whole situation, I think, like you just clearly outlined. And you don't even really know it. It's kind of like you're a fish. You're swimming in pure water. Uh, All of the best food is available. All of your friends are there. And so you're just assuming and taking all for granted just this wonderful, amazing, delicious situation that you're in. Absolutely. I, I, I agree that there's just kind of this like baseline subconscious level of security that I experienced when I was living at home and integrated into a really awesome community that I had no idea was even there until I was removed from it. Yeah. Yeah. You're the fish. They take away the water. They take away the food. 
they take away the other fish, yes. you know, and now you're like, I don't know, lying on the sand or something, and it's like the next to the oil spill, and it's just not so good at that point. You know, I, I remember being in college and being 18, just getting there, and it was like, I don't know, maybe my first Friday alone by myself, and I didn't know, like, where to go. There's not any social events, and there was, I was in this dorm that was five stories tall, and in the first floor, there was this lobby, and I just remember like wandering around the lobby and picking up this pamphlet and it was talking about how like friend groups form and unform and they basically said that a lot of people go to college and they're very, very lonely and you're surrounded by, at my college, 2,000 people, at your college, 30,000 people and so you're thinking, how can I be lonely? There's, there's thousands of people here and yet you're reading this pamphlet on yeah. a Friday night, and it says, hey, people initially will form friend groups, and then after about six weeks, those will fall apart. Yeah. And then you'll form different friend groups based on, you know, friendship is two people who have something in common. It's two people looking in the same direction. And so, like, at first, I don't know, what, what do we have in common? I guess we've got this plastic beer cup. Yeah. That's what we've got <laughs> <Yeah>. in common. <laughs> totally. And yeah. Yeah. I, I think I definitely, it was it was hard. It took a little bit for me to get my footing in terms of friends. And I was the only one out of my close friends who went to KU. And so that was hard too. And so I think I just like desperately wanted to make similar friendships. And I kind of forgot that my like best, best friends from home, like those friendships took time and it was not immediate by any means. And so I think I was just going into college deep down expecting I'm going to immediately find my best friends here and it 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 took a few years um and I did form those awesome relationships but I think off the bat I was uh unpleasantly surprised on how how long it took just to to form those relationships like good things take time and that was for sure one of them they do they do take time and and I don't even know what I was expecting when I went but probably something very similar that you think you can go from like zero up to the speed limit in about eight seconds I mean you're leaving behind all these wonderful high school friends that really truly care for you and who are a lot of fun and you understand each other uh and and then you're you're starting over and you just you know you kind of want that back yeah you know, I would agree with that. so, okay. So then how did that transform into your faith life? Like say a little bit about your faith life during all this time. So I kind of got involved with my faith in a little bit of an unconventional way coming in college. Um, I did not, I was not really that interested in getting involved with like the Catholic center, like, cause I had my own friend group like okay. outside of that. And yeah. so that was not really on my radar. And still I'd say like, Throughout college, I was involved at the Catholic Center, but um, most of my involvement came through Focus, which is definitely a branch of the Catholic Center. But um, yeah, uh, going back, I so my junior year of college, after a sophomore year of a lot of introspection in terms of uh, my like personal maturity, academic time management related things, but also just like what is actually making me happy? Like, is the way I'm living my life really making me happy? Mm. Um, my junior year, there was a focused missionary who befriended me and started hanging out with me. And I think at first I was just a little confused because I was not like a quote unquote Catholic center kid. And so I was like, why is she wanting to like hang out with me? Cause I feel like I'm not, I think I was just a little bit embarrassed about like the way I was living my life maybe in terms okay. of virtue and those things. But 
Um, and you meet this goody two shoes focused yes. missionary, so which is like a Catholic of, missionary, yeah. and you're kind of like, oh great, Mother Teresa. I know. Is at first, to... I was like, I really do not want to be hanging out with you right now, <laughs> um, at all. Um, but again, like the more like we became friends, and she just kept wanting to pursue me in friendship. It kind of, I I feel like I had to ask myself why, like why is she doing this? Okay. I, I'm not really extending the olive branch all that much, but she still wants to be my friend and well, she... cares about me and actually asks me meaningful questions, which I feel like is kind of rare. So Yeah, people are very content to just uh, stay on the level of facts, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe like, you know, some mild opinions like, hey, those are nice shoes. Like, where did you get those? People are very willing to stay on that level. Yeah, totally. And so I think another reason why I was kind of reluctant to hang out there because I was... I think deep down, I thought she was ultimately just going to end up pointing all of the things that I was doing wrong and mm. tell me that I shouldn't be doing them. Okay. And I'm like, I don't, that's not what I want to hear. Like, right. that's just, yeah, that's just not what I want to hear. So, but our relationship kind of just took a different direction where the closer we got, like she wasn't at all talking about my lifestyle, but she was just asking me like, Emily, do you actually believe that you're loved and that you're good? And like, the deeper questions of who, like who I think I am and how I feel about myself and like where my identity is. And I was really surprised by that because I was just expecting someone to tell me, don't do this, don't do that. Like these are sins. These are bad, you know? Yeah. Somebody who's going to lay down the rules, you know, she didn't really care about that because she was more concerned on if I actually knew that I was loved by God and by others. And if I could receive that love. And so that was it kind of took me by surprise yeah. Um, in, like, the best way. But I feel like it made me realize that after, like, a lot of introspection and thinking that, like, I did not necessarily have that core belief that I was loved by God and by others. And I kind of had it in my head that I had to, like, earn that. Yeah. Because I grew up earning earning everything I did yes so it was it was a huge mindset shift to not think that I had to earn God's love or even like earn my way into heaven by doing good things yes and because I was a little bit astray I think I didn't realize how bad I was just feeling about myself deep down and how I didn't believe I was worthy of love from God and so it was actually shocking for me to realize that I didn't have to earn God's love and that I could just receive it and that I could actually just like start fresh every day and every moment. Cause I didn't, I knew those things from obviously my wonderful Catholic education, but for her to like pursue me in friendship in that way and like love me when I didn't give her any reason to, yeah, I feel like really like allowed those truths to sink deeper into my heart of like, I, I don't have to earn God's love and I'm not going to lose it by However I behave, like, it's just a free gift, and I can receive it. And that was just, like, so shocking for me to actually realize in my heart. And so that was the huge shift for me, I think. Um, Yeah. Because slowly, like, it's crazy. One of my friends describes it as, like, a lot of times, like, in faith, he describes it as if you're teaching little kids a sport. He's like, it's not going to work if you teach them the rules of the game before the love of the game. Oh, yeah. If there's, like, all these little kids out there playing soccer and you're calling – or or basketball, and you're calling every single foul, every single technicality, they're going to hate it. Of course. And um, I feel like that's a really good analogy for the faith. I do, too. Like, we, 
for me at least, it was so awesome to learn of like everything comes from me being loved and God wanting me to be happy. And like from there, all of the, my whole faith that I've been taught my whole life just falls into order. And like, but there has to be like that foundation and baseline of, of love. Um, so that was just a huge shift for me. Well, I, I really like what you're saying. And I feel like a lot of people have a hard time grasping that. I, I am absolutely positive that I had a hard time grasping that. And let me see if I can just make a comparison. Um, maybe you just felt unconditionally loved yeah. by this lady. And, and I'm just, okay, here's my crazy comparison. So like, let's say you have two sets of parents, one parent walks in and their five-year-old knocked over the face and it shattered on the floor. It's, it's like in shards. And, uh, the first parent, you know, is like, you broke the vase, you know, and puts the kid in timeout and doesn't let them have any treats for two weeks and maybe gives them the silent treatments for a week. And everything is performance based, you know? Totally. And so then the kid grows up thinking, okay, I've got to make all these A's and I've got to do everything perfectly. And I, I better not break anything, et cetera. Uh, because if I break something or if I make a C or make an F, then mom's not going to love me anymore. Yeah. It's Dad's... out of fear and out of like wanting to earn yes. something. Yes. And then the second one comes in and, uh, you know, the, the kid breaks the vase and, uh, the kid's five. So then the mom or the dad comes up to the kid and hugs the kid and says, Hey, I love you anyway. And, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have put the base so close to the, to where you could reach it. I didn't like kid proof the house or something, uh, you know, and, and sweetie, let's just not do that again. Like you see all these other objects in the room, like you see that one and that one and that one. Um, let's not break those and, and like start pointing things out to the kid. Yeah. More of a loving response. And, and I mean, of course we have to have rules and all that, but the thing is you're a highly conscientious person. Are you familiar with this personality test called the big five? Um, maybe what is it? Well, okay. It's got an acronym ocean and it measures people's openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. A lot of psychologists consider it to be the most accurate personality test, at least as far as I know. Okay. And uh, I think you're high in conscientiousness. And people who are high in conscientiousness will feel guilt like nobody else. So the positive side is, is people who are high in conscientiousness and intelligence, well, for example, they make the most money in the United States and their careers go the farthest because they've got that IQ, but that conscientiousness also makes them super disciplined. So then they just go out there and they just get tasks done and they get promotions and they just climb the ladder very quickly because, hey, they got that high IQ and they got that super responsible attitude. Now, the flip side of that is, is that uh, if somebody says you did something wrong, they're just immediately flooded with guilt, uh, whether or not they actually did anything wrong. And if you have done something wrong, then you're really flooded with guilt. So, I mean, it's, it's good because it kind of keeps you on track, but that guilt can also be pulverizing and crippling. Um, and, and, you know, I suppose people who maybe like give up their faith in order to try to give up the guilt, I don't think that's really going to work because you still have the conscientiousness trait. So it's just that guilt's just going to get channeled in different directions. So I think you people just kind of need to 
be aware of that, you know. Totally. That's interesting. I've, I've actually never heard of that personality test, but... Um, oh, you'd like it. There's a website called truity.com. Okay. And it's loaded with things like the Myers-Briggs and the love languages and just all kinds of stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of what you were talking about resonates with me for sure. Um, and yeah, it's so interesting that guilt is like a huge barrier to people in their faith, whether they realize it or not. I think it was for me because that is just like the total opposite of like the gospel message and how we can actually just like give up all of our guilt and shame and we don't have to like figure it out. We can just like release it to God and be free of it. That's right. And it's like actually that easy. Yeah. So it is. You can just lay it down. Yes. Just lay it down. And I think people have heard that. I definitely had heard that, but I didn't know what it meant like in my own heart. Yeah. And so it was cool to kind of see all of these truths in through the lens of knowing that I, I was okay. Like I was, I was free. I was loved and I didn't have to figure out like all these things that I had done. Like I can just let them go, you know? May, may I ask how she did it? Like how, because uh, on one hand, it would have been very easy for you to just run in the opposite direction and say, hey, this, this friend is coming on too strong, too fast, too much. Uh, you know, I, I just want to run in the opposite direction. Um, but that didn't happen. Somehow yeah. she won you over. How I think that, how that happened. It was all just based out of trust and our relationship. Like we were friends for like four or five months before we even okay. had this conversation. Okay. And so I feel like I'm someone who in my friendships, it's a little bit more of a slow burn. Yeah. Like, it takes me a while to, I feel like get comfortable, which has nothing to do with the other person, but I feel like more just towards myself. Okay. I feel like it just takes me a little bit yeah, that's to fair. get um, closer to people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was all, I knew that when we did have that conversation because of our existing relationship and that foundation of it, I knew that she loved me, like whether or not I like fully committed to my faith or like totally disregarded it, like our friendship wouldn't change and we had that conversation Okay. because I was still at a point where I wasn't, fully living virtuously and I knew that she loved me anyways and so I guess seeing that was really powerful for me because I was like okay like I don't have to prove myself to her or like behave in a certain way in order to be loved and so it was a cool realization letting that kind of sink into how God viewed me Mm. and like once she had kind of clearly outlaid that for me I could see it because she had loved me in that same way and so I think it was all it was all just the power of friendship and relationships and knowing that I didn't have to choose to behave in a way in order to be her friend or like yes. to be loved by her. You didn't have to meet like these standards, no. so to speak. Like, I mean, she would have loved me if I was outliving the craziest life and like still to this day. Like if I decided to give all of this life up like that God has invited me to, I know that like she would love me the same. And that is super powerful. I feel like in any friendship. Yeah. But for hers specifically in that time. I just was. admire her so much for doing that. She went at the speed of Emily. Yes. You know, versus like, I don't know, her own speed, her own agenda. Like, I got to get this done. Like, I'm here to recruit people. Hey, you know, sign here. Mm-hmm. Next, you know, just uh, just the opposite of all that. Just yeah. like loving you for who you are, going at the speed yeah. of Emily. It's um, funny because when we were first starting to become friends, I was super skeptical. And I, I, I could be kind of blunt at times. Okay. And I told her, I was like, if you're just trying to 
recruit me to get more numbers for your organization. I don't want any part of it. I told her that because I didn't want to. I didn't want to feel used, and I didn't want to feel like she was just trying to build up what she was involved in with any person she could find. And right. I, I, I told her. I, I don't know why I said it so bluntly, but I did. And she was like, "That's so fair." And like, I actually just want. I care about you, and I actually just want you to be happy. And like, if you're the only person that is impacted by this, like that is all that matters. Like she's like, I couldn't care less about my organization, you know? Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I've heard those type of questions. They sometimes go under the name of crap test or garbage <laughs> test. Like, you know, somebody asks a very challenging question that, you know, questions somebody else's motives and possibly their integrity and things like that. And and I, you know, then people have said that's actually not a crap question. That's an excellent question because with friendship and with families, you really actually do have to know if the other person is going to be there for you. You know, like, I, okay, I'll just give you the opposites. Like, so sometimes, like, you know, maybe, hey, I'm at a party too. You know, I'm like 25 or something and I'm at a party. And, uh, you know, you, you're chatting with somebody and then you say something like, hey, do you want to play tennis tomorrow at noon at the court? And the other person says, yes, absolutely, that would be great. So the next day you show up at noon at the court and they're not there. And so then in my mind, I started referring to that as bar talk, you know, that people will say anything, you know, just because it makes the conversation flow and everybody seems very nice and very friendly uh, and they absolutely don't mean it. Like this niceness is 100% superficial. There's nothing sincere about it. Um, you know, if they could prevent your, your pain, you know, by like lifting a finger, they would not lift a finger. Um, and here she's just really kind of doing the opposite and, but people have to know, they have to know, like with friends and family, are you actually going to be there for me? Um, when times get rough and times always get rough, uh, you know, can I trust you? Can I count on you? You know, so for you to say, you know, Hey, if you're going to be sending out a fundraising letter, letter later to all of your people and say, yes, I recruited 20 new people, you know, instead of 19, you know, you just didn't want to be the 20th person so that you were just kind of like a, a tally mark yeah on totally. a recruit sheet totally and like like our relationship wasn't even like based in like her fundraiser or anything like that but like I also I didn't want to be just like I didn't want to be used for that purpose and I yeah. think that's like I'm not alone in feeling that way oh yeah um, yeah nobody wants to feel yeah, used totally they and don't like I I knew that, like, everything that she was inviting me to or, like, explaining to me, I knew because of, like, our friendship that it was because she loved me and wanted me to be happy and wanted the best for me. And if there was something that went against what she thought was best for me or, like, her love for me, she wouldn't have invited me into it. Yeah. And, like, I trusted that because I trusted her and, like, still trust her. So it's it all just stems out of wanting the best for people because you love them. Okay. And that has been huge for me, like – knowing that that was, like, her motives. Are you able to do that going forward, like, flip it around and do that for other people? You know, kind of like the parents I was mentioning, the one who's able to hug the five-year-old when the kid shatters the vase because, you know, they're only five, and people only know so much, and they make mistakes, et cetera. Are you able to kind of flip that around? Yeah, I think, like, I am really grateful for my story and just all of the way, all of the lifestyles I've had, like, in the past years of being a young adult because I think I have gained a lot of empathy and understanding for people in various life stages 
and for people making various decisions because I have learned from my own personal story that people are just doing things because they want to be happy and want to be loved. Yes. And no and one... because everybody else is doing it. Yes. And you don't want to be left out. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to be by themselves on an I island. I feel like at, the every, like at the heart of every decision or lifestyle is a good desire that yes. just gets twisted. Yes. And that, being able to identify that within myself and having more compassion towards myself, I feel like it's been a huge gift because it gives me eyes to see that in other people and um, not really, I feel like people's actions aren't really the main point. It's just like their belief system. Mm, It's actually more important. Yeah, absolutely. Like if people don't believe that they're loved and cared for and important, Mm. they will act out and try to seek that or grasp that in X, Y, Z, like a variety of different things. I I totally think you're right on this. I, I feel like needs get met. I guess I'm, I, I've read a little psychology and I, I don't know where I got this, but I, maybe I put it together from 500 things. I don't know, but I feel like people's needs get met. Like if people have a need for love and belonging, uh, it always gets met. It just doesn't necessarily get met well. Yeah. And that was what happened with me. Like, I feel like the time in my life where I like started to receive that love and belonging, that was what allowed me to run towards the good things in life rather than like some of the other things that I was doing and not because I stopped doing them because I knew that I was because they were bad or like uh-huh. a, like that's definitely helpful and like we're human so we need those guidelines but like it needs to come from a place of knowing that like your desires are going to be met somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Like when I say needs get met poorly, I'm thinking uh, people drink too much, eat too much, smoke too much, overspend, uh, procrastinate, play 12 hours of video games instead of one, mm-hmm. uh, watch Netflix for 12 hours instead of two or whatever. Uh, th- that's, I, I think there's like self-medication thing that happens, but then there's also, uh, I don't know, uh, pairing up or grouping up with the wrong set of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are also struggling to get their needs met, but everything's just a big mismatch. And there's a line from a U2 song I really like where he says, uh, you can't get enough of what you don't really need. You know, mm-hmm. y- you can try to, you know, I don't know, uh, fill a hole in your heart by, I don't know, some people like pour alcohol in it, but it's really not a good fit. Yeah. You know, you've got a heart problem and it can't be solved with a chemical solution, you know, as they say. Totally. So, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking mismatched relationships and substances. That's that's what I mean when people get their needs met poorly. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. here she just genuinely loved you for who you are and that just meant everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, I is there anything else to say on this one? I feel like this was a really yeah, good Yeah, that was a good a good little conversation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let's kind of get back to, I guess, then college and then majoring in accounting. Um, I, I would just love to know just a little bit about your personality type. If you know, like, have you done the Myers-Briggs? Like, I have. And it's interesting. Um, so the times that I've taken it, every time I've gotten ENFP. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, you seem like an ENFP to me. I'm an ENFP and usually I can pick them out of a crowd. Now what's confusing to me is you're an accountant and every other accountant I've ever met in my life is the opposite. It's an ISTJ. What was it? Well, I mean, you would just be the polar opposite of all the other types there. Now kind of the cliche on the ENFP in school is that they can do whatever they want. Like you can major in anything and uh, you'll do just fine. Uh, Academically, you've got the brain power to do it. You know, the question is, do you want to do it? You know, like, sure, you could do particle physics, but, you know, do you have an interest in it? 
how did you wind up being an ENFP in accounting? Because ENFPs are like social and outgoing and they like literature and they like reading and poetry and uh, artsy things. Yeah. Oh, and they're they're like puppies in terms of people. They just want to go around and be among everybody. They're like, oh, you're interesting, you know, and you know, of course they're affectionate because that's what puppies do and they're energetic. Yeah, that's it's so funny that you say that because, well, first of all, a little side note, I, I always tinker right on the line of being introverted and extroverted. Okay, so, now that's actually typical with ENFPs that they are the most introverted of the extroverts. And I should just also clarify that with all this, they say, okay, everybody's extroverted around people that they're comfortable with and everybody's introverted around people that they're not comfortable with. And the problem with being an ENFP or the virtue is that they pay attention to everything all the time. So you could be in a room with 20 people and in some respect, you're trying to figure out what each person is doing, why they're doing it. Well, that's exhausting. So then you need to like retreat from that and then have your introverted time and just kind of like go off by yourself and recharge. And maybe that's where like the artistic pursuits or something like that come into play. For sure. I would say that's accurate for for my experience with okay. myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah, what else do you want to say about personality yeah. type yeah. and, and how funny. did you wind up in accounting? It's funny because, so I wind up in accounting because coming into college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And both my parents are accountants. So I just started with accounting oh. and never left. Oh, um, okay. I do like it. Like yeah. I would have chosen something different if I didn't like it, but uh-huh. it always just kind of clicked with me. I think that it aligns with how my brain works and logical. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. People always say like, Oh, you must like math. It is math. Like there, I do have to do basic algebra, but a lot of it is just logic. It's kind of like a big puzzle. So it's, yeah. I'm not doing like complex. Oh, it's not that much. Math. At all. I, I majored in math because I was, I have no idea why I majored in math. <laughs> I really don't even know. I double majored. My other major was English. Um, I kind of know why I did that, but yeah, the type of math you're doing in accounting, I mean, you're not doing calculus no. or anything like that. I mean, the math becomes so automatic that you don't even really know that you're doing math. It's like two plus two equals four. Yeah. It's so simple. You're not even really, it's not like the math is going to kill you. No, not at all. And um, another funny thing is so many of my accounting friends have the same exact personality as me like I feel like that like can maybe be a misconception I don't know I guess so so many people in my classes and people who I've been friends with with accounting are so social and bubbly and outgoing okay um there are definitely uh the quieter maybe a little bit more ISTJ type people in accounting that is like it's not absent but I there are a lot of fun people in accounting and I was I actually was surprised by that um but yeah, I, so I got, I started with accounting freshman year and then liked it and did pretty well. And so I just kept at it and decided to stay for the full five years and get my master's. And I just graduated last weekend with that. And yeah, I'm taking the CPA and yeah. I have, I interned with a, with a public accounting firm that I would love to go back to at some point if that is what happens. Um, okay. And they were, they were really gracious with allowing me to defer a full-time offer to pursue something else. So yeah. Yeah. That's I, cool. I like oh, you've got a, You've got that sitting in the bank there for you. Yeah. That full-time it's super offer. Awesome. So um, if you do focus for, I don't know, say five years, mm-hmm. you've got that job just sitting there waiting for you. So I don't know about five years, um, for the job offer, but I, 
if I if I want to go back in two years, Got there's it. a spot for me. Got um, it. Which is, they were, I, I really give KPMG a lot of props for giving me the opportunity because I, I just asked them, I'm like, can I interview again if I want to come back? Mm-hmm. And they made it super easy for me. So I feel like that is awesome for, for them. Well, honestly, I would. And I've heard just a little bit about that kind of thing. Like, let's say you're a company and let's say you find a really terrific candidate it's very typical that people in their early or mid-20s who just got out of, say, a master's degree, okay, they're going to want to go do something like missionary work. Maybe they want to travel abroad or maybe they want to travel across the United States and then they want to help people. And they want to just always have that in their life. They want to have those life-changing experiences. Uh, it's going to make them much better rounded. You know, because the problem once you get into the work world, your life can easily become work, home, store, work, home, store, work, <laughs> home, store. And no, this way you can go out there and you can just really meet every kind of person. Yeah. And you can have all kinds of experiences. Yeah. And since it's missionary type stuff, it's all very, very positive, you know. Totally. So I, there's a lot of companies where they look at, you know, things like, hey, GPA and records and they go, Wow, fantastic GPA, wonderful major, very smart person, just passed the first two chunks of the CPA, etc. Why wouldn't you want to bank that person so that somebody else does not snap them up? Yeah, from what I've learned, I feel like that type of corporate culture has changed a little bit recently. As like, um, I feel like employees get a little bit more power and say, like in advocating for themselves, like in the past decade maybe um because i've had a lot of people tell me that like my circumstance would never have happened like back in the day so it's yeah maybe like 30 years ago or something yeah maybe i don't yeah Yeah, so it's it is it is nice that that is a little bit of a positive shift yeah well it it should be kind of both ways i always kind of feel like employment it's very easy for the employee to feel that hey they're just here to take orders but the truth of the matter is i think it's supposed to be like a contract you know it's like hey you walk into quick trip you want the soda more than you want the dollar they want the dollar more than they want the soda everybody leaves happy and i just feel like hey employing being an employee it's kind of pretty much the same thing yeah i agree with that so okay hey let's uh i i feel like we've talked quite a bit about college and that kind of thing is there anything more that you want to say about college I think that pretty much covers it yeah okay. Okay. i i all in all look back on my college experience super positively it was a lot of ups and downs at the beginning but i think i gained so much growth and wisdom and knowledge from the people i ended up being surrounded by and yeah i think that you can have that type of growth like spiritually emotionally mentally at like anywhere you go as long as you're surrounded with the right people because yeah, I was when I decided to go to KU, I was be debating between KU and sort of Benedictine, and I thought that like I was kind of choosing between my faith and not my faith, and okay. it's it's just crazy that I ended up receiving so much um at a place that isn't spiritual in nature at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it sometimes was really surprising to me. Sometimes I think that actually helps people. You know, just because, I don't know, you see the opposite so starkly defined and you don't like it. You know, mm-hmm. so then you go for the faith route. What do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about Slovenia? Sure. Or do you, or do you want to talk about uh, hopping into focus? We or, can talk about Slovenia. Let's do that. Okay. Um, Start anywhere. So I, so 
I did. It was technically a study abroad, but I feel like that's a little bit of a loose term. I feel like it was just a glorified vacation because it was a nine-day short-term study abroad okay. in the May just after I finished my freshman year okay. through the business the business leadership program. Okay. And um, it, was, it was awesome. I went with 20 people who I was super close with because we were all in the program together. A lot of them were friends with me like in my social life too. And we essentially, it was a three credit hour class and all we had to do was go tour these companies during the day, write a little bit of a blog post. And then we had our evenings free to do whatever we wanted. Wow. And in the course of that nine days, we had a weekend trip to the, um, uh, the Adriatic Sea. Okay. And so it, it was the easiest three credit hour class I've ever done, <laughs> but it was so much fun because yeah, it was, it was beautiful. Europe is beautiful. I'm, I've been itching to go back, but yeah, it was awesome. Okay. Okay. So what's like the big culture shock when you get over there? I feel like the pace of life is just a lot slower really? in Europe. Like I, well, it's so beautiful that I feel like I was able to just be a lot more present and oh. it wasn't as rushed. Um, and then a little bit more specific thing that I noticed is people will ride their bikes everywhere and they don't care if you're in the road, like they will keep going and they will hit you. <laughs> so that is a little bit of a more specific thing that I saw in, in Slovenia. But yeah, Slovenia was so beautiful. It was it was very similar to Italy, I'd say like in, in the landscape. Um, and we actually got to go to Venice for a day too. Wow. But yeah, I really don't even think about that trip as an academic trip. I really just think about it as a fun vacation with my friends. But yeah, it was awesome. You probably needed it. And it came at the end of your freshman year. So was, was that right about the right time? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. like, I always feel like, hey, getting out of town just helps me sort of, I don't know, change my perspective, change my mind or something like that. This was maybe right around the time that you were also becoming disenchanted with just the whole freshman scene. Yeah, I think it came at a good time. And it was a, it was a kind of crazy transition from... KU freshman year going to Slovenia and then I worked at Camp Tekawitha that summer too oh, okay. so it was kind of bang 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 with like big uh life experiences right yeah so kind, but it was super like fun life reorientation yeah. in a way okay that's really 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 cool so if I gave you a million dollars and uh, a year off would you just go back what would you do so recently I have been super interested in walking the Camino. Oh, okay. I've heard so of the, that. Isn't what, tell what that is. So please. it's a pilgrimage. I don't know a ton about it. I just recently watched a movie about it, but it's a pilgrimage that you can take a bunch of different routes, but it's essentially through Spain, through all these different towns. And it ends at this, uh, cathedral. I think it's called the, the, the cathedral de Santiago. Okay. St. There's some significance with St. James actually. So mm. it's like, uh, it takes a month and you walk like 10 miles a day and just stay in all of these hostels. Oh, and wow. it's just this like journey. And it's, it is, I'd say a little bit spiritual in nature just because of like the Catholic roots to it. But yeah. I would love to do that. I don't know when I will have a month off anytime soon, yeah. but I, I really would love to do, to walk the Camino. I hope you make time for that because, okay, I'm just so dumb, but I never even heard about youth hostels until I was too old to go yeah. to one. <laughs> so I'm just hoping that, I don't know what the age limit on them is. I don't know if it's like 30 or something like I that. I have no idea. I, I think that, yeah, I don't know a ton about hostels, but I know that there are I just had a professor who finished the walking the Camino and he's 
in his upper 70s. So I know anyone can do it. Anyone can do that part. Like, yeah, but the hostels, I think, well, I don't know. Maybe there's two different things. Maybe there's hostels and then there's youth hostels. I think there are hostels that anybody can stay at, just like group hotel living situations. Okay, I will stop being ignorant. I will look it up (laughs) later at another point. (laughs) Yeah, so, okay. So that was kind of like a life-changing experience and everything. Then, okay, so you got into focus. I feel like that's a major decision. It's a big jump because, hey, if I had all of your degrees and licenses and CPA type thing, uh, hey, that's what you've been training for. That's what you've been doing. You've enjoyed it. It's been good. Uh, It also would probably come with a relatively good payday. My brother's an accountant. Uh, The the pay ranges are, they can really be outstanding. Um, So, I mean, there's just all that. You like what you do and it pays well but you're putting it on hold. So tell me all about that. So I, I think I remember this moment. It was definitely not a, a momentary decision, but I was driving in Lawrence back to my sorority house, and I feel like I just kind of got this inkling of, like, what if I changed my plan a little bit? Like, it was, like, the first time where I opened, I was opened up to the possibility of, like, what if I were to maybe be a missionary for a few years? Okay. And that was kind of scary for me, like even just opening up myself to that remote possibility. Just even thinking yes. about and it. And so I think that was for sure like the Holy Spirit, like in a moment of grace saying like, you can, you're allowed to take a step back from everything that you are mm. set on and like, it's okay. Like the world is not going to fall apart. Um, and so I feel like from that moment, my desire and interest just kept growing and growing and growing, like especially as I was um, growing in my relationship with God. Okay. And then, um, a, a big turning point for me was I, like you said, I went on this mission trip to Peru, um, spring break of my junior year. Yeah. We haven't talked about Peru. Yeah. That was amazing. Do we need to talk about Peru um, right now? I can give a little bit of a recap, but okay. so it was a mission trip where we stayed in Lima, Peru at this retreat center. And then every day would travel about 45 minutes into this town called Pamplona, which okay. is a shanty town on the side of a mountain in Peru. And so all of these, um, impoverished people live on this steep mountainside and would have to travel into the main town each day to, work, make whatever money they would make that day, and use that money to buy the food for the next day. So they were definitely living day-to-day wow, um, very in need. And so the project that I was involved in was building stairs and other infrastructure in order to help them travel safely into the town. Oh, okay. And so what we did for the week that I was there was just essentially build a huge flight of concrete stairs okay. on the mountainside to help them kind of navigate their way a little bit easily, more easily and safer. Yeah. Um, and also just like play with the kids, hang out with the people. They, they really stressed like relationships over work because these people like are in need of these stairs, but they also just like are in need of like friendship and relationships. Yeah. So that was really awesome. And that, so I think that trip, like just living so simply and feeling so free, like detached from all the technology, all the distractions was a cool opportunity for me to encounter God. And from that trip, I'd say like, that was a huge turning point for me of like, oh, there are other things out there that are super fulfilling and can make me happy mm. outside of my cookie cutter plan that I have <laughs> set out for myself, which it's not bad. Yeah. But like, I think that was so, such an immersive and clear experience for me to see that like I feel so free when I'm 
detached from yeah. everything else and like just serving others. Yeah. And like that actually is like selfishly making me way more happy. So I think that was like the little boost I needed to really consider what if I became a focused missionary and decided okay. to serve in that way? Yeah, if I just detached from, I guess, all my own dreams, my own hopes, my own ambitions, and just maybe go serve others and all that. Uh, okay, so I went to Guatemala for, I think, about 10 days in 2004. Then I did it again in 2006. I, I found it changed my whole view of the world completely in ways that are really hard to describe. Yeah. Um, because I'd never been to a place like that. And it was like the second or the third most poor country in North America. The people, I mean, kind of the cliche was the people are, are very poor, but they're very happy. They're probably a little bit richer in Peru, but still, I mean, you're kind of pointing out this day-to-day existence. Yeah. Uh, you probably enjoyed the people very much. Oh, I had the time of my life. Like, I, it was so much fun. And it was so, it was so simple but so fun. And like, I feel like that was really eye opening for me. Yeah. It was so fun. And I, I went with like a, a good group of some of my good friends too. So what do you miss the most about it? I feel like I just miss being in an environment. So we didn't have our phones the whole time. Okay. And I miss being in an environment where everyone had no choice, but to just hang out. Mm. And like, that is harder. I feel like these days, cause even if I wanted to be away from my phone or someone else wanted to be away from their phone, like there are going to be other people that have them. Or like if someone else was detaching from their phone, I might be on my phone distracted from them. So it's just harder, I feel like, to find that connection. I feel like I just felt so connected and at ease uh, away from all of the noise. You know what I found is is that sometimes I get into these kicks where it's kind of like, okay, I'm just not even going to look at my phone till like 6 p.m., or when I'm around other people, you know, I'll put it on silence and I'll like hide it away in a pouch or something like that. I won't keep it in my pocket, so I don't even know if it's there. Um, yesterday I was at an event and it went from, I don't know, like maybe about three in the afternoon till about nine in the evening, which is not a long time. But nonetheless, I just left it in this room charging and just ignored it completely. And so I really didn't know what time it was at any given point. And I definitely was missing phone calls and text messages. And I don't know, there's just something like blissful about not having that thing. Just, I, yeah, I just don't know what it is. Yeah, I agree. And the first few days, there was definitely some like, honestly, withdrawal symptoms. (laughs) It's like a drug. Yeah, it is. And that was real. But I feel like once I got past that point, it was it was so awesome. And I try to I try to implement that as much as I can into my daily life, but it's it's honestly hard. It like, is hard. Yeah, it it's is hard, hard not to be attached to to XYZ things, my phone, my computer, TV, like it's in so the free true. time I have. But yeah. I gave my students an assignment called Get Really Good over the summer. And uh, they would brainstorm five things that they would really like to get good at. And they could be super complicated, like take AP Spanish, but they could also be very, you know, fun, like play the ukulele and roller skate. So then I had them narrow it down to one or two. Then I had them schedule a specific hour of the day, like from one till two, and just work at it every single day. And the goal is to like get really good so that, hey, by the end of the summer, if you've worked at something for an hour a day for 90 days straight, you might get really good. And then I had this little section in there about time wasters, and I concentrated on social media, and I said, which apps are annoying enough to delete? And, you know, people would say, I find TikTok extremely annoying. And one 
person said, well, you should delete it right now. And this girl was like, yeah, I probably should. And I said, I will pay you $5 to delete it if you delete it right now. And wow. she goes, really? And so I paid her $5 on the spot. And then I said, but you got to give the $5 back if you reinstall it. Yeah. Then all these kids were like, no, she's got to give you $100 if she reinstalls it. <laughs> you know. But I just kind of wanted to focus on like the whole time waster aspect. But I think the the key to any of these things is it's like a specific hour of the day. Like, oh, I will allow myself to get on social media from 6 until 7 p.m. Otherwise, you just might be on it at any random time that you get bored. Yeah, um, I agree. I think that's kind of the way that like cut stuff out is you got to be like super specific about when you're going to allow yourself to do it. I, I feel like, gosh, if I were in Peru, I, I just feel like the magic combination of, of, hey, foreign people that I would never meet ordinarily in my lifetime, beautiful landscape, no phone. Uh, we're here to do this relatively simple thing, and we've just eliminated the other 28 things we have to do. Um, for me, like it would be just a magic combination. Totally, that was that was definitely how it was. So would would you go back? I would definitely go back. Maybe maybe I'll be able to go on another mission trip as a focus missionary. That yeah. would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely go back on another trip. Okay, so then you jumped into focus. What has that been like? So, focus essentially is this not for profit apostolate that sends out recent college grads to all these different college campuses in the U.S. to essentially do what that woman did for me. Um, yes. To build relationships with people and share how God has impacted your life with them. And then hopefully they will have the same encounter with God through through friendship. Like friendship and relationship is the core of all of it. Mm. Because why would you want to like share this with someone if you didn't actually love them and yeah. like want what's best for them? So, yeah, essentially what I will be doing as a missionary is – um, sharing my faith with others and leading them to that same encounter with God and then um, building them up in the faith and then hopefully sending them out to do the same with others okay. and to share their faith. Um, so, yeah, essentially living out the Great Commission and the model of how Jesus made disciples is just by investing in a few people and then hopefully God will invite them to do the same for others and that is how disciples are made. So that it's been cool to learn a little bit more about that, but I, I really believe in that mission and that is what actually changed my life. So I'm excited to, to hopefully share that with others in the next um, two years. It's a two-year commitment and I'll be placed at a college campus somewhere in the U.S. I don't know yet okay. where it will be and I'll find out here in a few weeks when I go to training okay. in Bismarck, North Dakota. Okay. So that's where the training is? Yes. Okay. So I'll find out then. Okay. Um, gosh, related to that, um, mentoring. So you'll be mentoring other people. We may have already kind of like discussed this with the friend who kind of helped you, but, but with mentoring, is there anything that you'd like to add? Yeah, I, it was, a, there's a lot of things that happened in between our, our first encounter together and where I am now, but I, last year, I, or at the beginning of uh, it was August 2020. I, I was at a point where I started to lead a Bible study in my sorority. Okay. Um, and through that Bible study, I got to know like these freshmen, sophomores in my sorority that I just became super good friends with. And then mm. from there, I was I was able to kind of share my heart with them and um, my desires for them because I love them and wanted what's best for them and was able to kind of mentor them in the same way that I was mentored and just really passing on what I had received. Okay. And so now, yeah, there's four girls in particular that 
I am super close with and kind of walk with in their faith and how old um, are they? They're freshmen. Uh, they're now sophomores. One of them, is, or two of them are sophomores. One of them is a junior, and one of them is a senior. Okay. Um, oh, okay. And so it's cool because now some of them are starting to have that desire through just like a lot of daily prayer and yeah, daily prayer has just been huge for me, and I really stress that for them of wanting to share their faith with others. So now it's it's cool for me to be able to give them some guidance on how to do that um, and see their their heart for God and heart for others grow in that way. Um, And so that's just essentially what I will be doing wherever I get placed. I kind of want to ask, like, what's your daily prayer look like? Like, how does, because you seem very peaceful, you seem very focused, you seem very serene, uh, you seem very happy. And so, gosh, I think that's got to be a part of it. But I also kind of want to ask you, with these people that you're mentoring, uh, do you help them with their love lives? Or like their financial <laughs> problems or their academics. Because I'm just like, hey, everything's connected to everything else. Yeah, I mean, like, they're truly just... The love life. I just, uh, one, yeah. one little quip that somebody told me one time I thought it made sense was, they said, if your relationship is good, nothing else matters. Yeah. And if your relationship is bad, nothing else matters. That's, I, I'd say that's accurate. Yeah, I mean, they're truly just my friends. Like, okay. I, I'd say it's less of a mentorship relationship. Like, it is in certain elements, but they're they're just my friends. So we... We're just friends like any other friends okay. and share okay. everything. So their um, love life does come up. Yes. Gotcha. A few a few gotcha. times. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. Yes. Okay. And I don't know, their trouble with their mom or their sister or their brother or just like, hey, I'm having a rough time in English class yeah. or gosh, I'm $2,000 short when it comes to tuition. Like everything comes up. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I back at them, like share those things with them too. Okay. Like it's, it's totally two way friendship and like. I, I'm super open with them and like they give a lot of life to me in that way too. Do you feel like a therapist or a a life coach? Yeah, maybe at certain times. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My niece, everybody tells uh, her, her problems and she refers to herself as an emotional support animal. Yeah, that's funny. Sometimes (laughs) I'm, I'm not as patient enough to do that, but yeah, there are definitely moments. Okay. Okay. Um, so Gosh, prayer life, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so that was honestly like one of the first things that my friend who invested in me like really stressed is daily prayer. Like that is like where everything, that is where like the encounter with God happens. And like I didn't really know the importance of daily prayer until I just started praying. And like from there, I, that was really the place where I learned that God is real, the Holy Spirit is real. And like, he wants a personal relationship with you and that's mm. possible. And I wouldn't have known that unless I just tried like committing to prayer, like every day for 15, 30 minutes at the beginning. Okay. And that is really where like all of the truth of my faith was able to like enter into my heart. And like, I was able to encounter God, like in prayer, in the Eucharist, um, all of the good things. So yeah, I, daily prayer is really where the conversion happened for me. Okay. And I know that that is, like so crucial. Well, and earlier we kind of talked a little bit about people who follow the rules and and uh, being very very worried about the rules compared to I guess like the love relationship. You know, like that strict parent that wants to make sure that you follow all the rules, versus the parent who's going to love you even when you fall down and stumble. Um, how does that translate into a prayer life? Because I'm thinking like, hey, strict version. Maybe we just recite prayers, which, hey, that's great, you know, that totally has a good place. 
and then like the personal relationship, maybe that's more of a conversation. But I, I'm just guessing yeah. right now. We haven't talked about this, so I don't really know where you're going to land on this. Yeah, it's crazy because I'm at the point now where my ideal day would look like praying a holy hour every okay. day. And that, like, when I first started having a prayer life was so incredibly daunting to me and like seemed impossible because I just didn't know how to sit still or even be silent or like Mm. receive God in that way at all but like just the more I began to pray consistently every day I feel like the Holy Spirit just kind of teaches you how to pray yeah I don't that's like the only way I can describe it is like through just the faithfulness that you give to like being consistent okay like I feel like God just really teaches you how to pray taught me how to pray and like now a lot of my prayer really just looks like silence and like meditation it's Mm. a lot slower and like okay yeah but it takes it took me time to like build up to that and like I definitely will fall off the wagon sometimes and like get back into prayer and be like oh this is yeah it's rough again like at the beginning but you I feel like just with time and silence and like really paying attention learning to pay attention to like the movements of my heart is like okay where I can see God working and like really receive and like pray about things and just sit in silence okay. knowing that God is with me. Do you ever take a notepad and a pen? Oh yeah. And just in case I don't know, you feel inspired and you just get hit by a very good idea. Totally. I have a journal that I okay. I will take every time. Okay. So. Now this is a little random, but if say I'm at mass and there's like this little meditative moment going on, if just whatever random idea I get hit with, I try to follow up on all of those. Um, almost never are they things that are just directly for my benefit. They might be something like, hey, give $25 to this person. Or it might be like, hey, give your sister a phone call or just something along those lines. Or like, uh, hey, cut this one assignment so that students don't have to do it. You know, something like that. It's, yeah. it's just always, uh, just if I get hit by a random idea, I try to follow up on all of them. That's really cool. Yeah. I don't know if I'm at that point at all. I, I want to get better about like responding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and uh-huh. like believing that those are actually from God. I just right. feel like I, I mean, I have had these amazing faith experiences, but I just still feel like I'm such at the beginning. Of- yeah. Look, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, these are from God. They could just yeah. be like random chemicals firing in my brain or <laughs> something. They might be, but I, I'm just talking about those out of the blue things. You know, it's kind of like artists with their creative ideas. If you're doing something where your brain is at a state of peace, like let's say you're taking a walk and you're not particularly thinking about anything, you're just enjoying nature, and then you randomly get an idea for, I don't know, a novel or painting or a song or something like that, like just because your brain is in this peaceful state. And then all of those little subconscious pieces come together and then it gets delivered to you in just like one big package. Mm-hmm. There's actually a psychologist who calls that thinking slow. There's thinking fast and thinking slow. Thinking fast is like adding up a column of numbers. It's analytical. Anybody can kind of do that. Thinking slow is maybe just more creative or inspirational or spiritual. And it's just all of those pieces kind of coming together. Uh, Daniel Kahneman, that's the name of the psychologist. But I, I feel like, hey, that's oftentimes like where the Holy Spirit moves yeah. is, is you just get these ideas. And then, you know, some of them are probably not any good. It's just that I try to follow up on them and just that it's really kind of up to the other person, like how the other person chooses to respond. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that's awesome. So it's just, I don't even know where I got the idea. It's probably just another crazy idea <laughs> that I came up with. 
You never um, know. Okay. So, yeah, I feel like we've talked about high school, college, master's degree, uh, accounting, Peru, Slovenia, and focus. Is there any other big topic out there that you'd like to discuss that maybe we just haven't discussed just yet? And I honestly do not think so. I feel like we covered... I don't think I've ever talked about my life in such a comprehensive (laughs) way all at once. So, Well, you're a fascinating, interesting person, (laughs) and you've accomplished so much in a short period of time. I feel like like even the part where you feel like you kind of got derailed as a freshman, I think that's worked to your advantage. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, it's all worked out. Yeah, it's all kind hopefully of continue out. to work out. So. so, so what do you do to relax? I, I guess maybe I just maybe three or four more questions, something like that. Uh, but what do you do to relax? Like, what are your hobbies these days? Because you you did so many things in the past, like seven sports and all of these arts. So where are you at these days? These days, what I do to relax is go on a lot of walks because that is just kind of what my body can handle right now. Going okay. on a lot of walks doing Pilates, um, over social media or over, over Lent, I gave up social media and got back into reading again for the first time in a really long time. And I'm still kind of on again, off again, but reading has, has been a, a cool little rediscovery for the first time since probably like middle school when I read for pleasure. Okay. Um, yeah. Hanging out with my friends. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll do a few quick hitters then, um, just on books and movies and songs. Uh, favorite book or something that's in about the top five or top ten? Um, okay. That's kind of a hard question. So I I have started a lot of – I've started and finished a lot of books. Okay. So I think um, one of the favorite books I've ever read is called Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nowen. It's more of a oh. spiritual book. Okay. Um, but a book that I have started and not finished that I think is so good is called Father Elijah. I don't know oh, if you've ever read it. I think I read that. Um, yeah, that's a big, fat, thick Catholic uh, novel. Yeah. It's a novel. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think like this this bad bad guy is going to become like the president of the world or something. And then this priest is just sort of like investigating and getting his background. Like everybody mm-hmm. thinks this guy is... So sophisticated, so nice, and so kind. And on the surface, he just looks perfectly polished and all that. But underneath the surface, uh-oh. Yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah, kind of. I'm, yeah, from what I can remember. It was, I started it over COVID and haven't finished it, but I just remember it was so good. I'm such an amateur when it comes to reading, so I wish I could give you a better answer. Okay, but, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, favorite movie? Or in the top, I you know, asking favorites is a little ridiculous. That's why I say, hey, what's something maybe in the top ten? Yeah, I really love the movie Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah, that's no, That's great. a classic, like, good good movie. That is probably my favorite movie. And for people who don't know, that's about a guy who may or may not be guilty. Uh, he gets sent to prison. Uh, he really doesn't fit. He's an accountant, actually. Yeah, and a, a big <laughs> finance guy. So he's in the prison, and of course, it's a very, very stark adjustment, and eventually he comes up with a brilliant escape plan. Uh, and it, it takes him like 20 years or something to execute. Yeah. I mean, that's a very, very, very it's good such movie. such a good movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite style of music? Um, I really love like soft rock type okay. music, um, like John Mayer. Okay. Um, and yeah, I feel like a lot of my playlists on Spotify are a big, like melting pot of a ton of different genres. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then what is your idea of deep relaxation? If somebody gave you a half a million dollars and said, you just have to go someplace and relax for a month, 
I seriously go back to like walking. Like okay. I would love to go back to Europe and just walk and like walk with people that I love, like my closest friends. Like I feel like walking, there's something about it that is just like so therapeutic and like taking in the surroundings and being present. That is super, super relaxing to me. And I would love to do that in a bunch of cool locations at some point in my life, like whether it's Europe, South America, Wherever I can, wherever I'm fortunate enough to go. Hey, there's your El Camino right there. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, The last two questions I can think of is, uh, first, is there anything I should have asked today that I didn't ask? I honestly can't think of anything. This has been really lovely. I feel like it's been a good convo. I really love this. And I hope after you do focus for about maybe six months or a year, we come back and then you tell me all about all of your focus experiences. Totally. I would love that. Okay, okay, then here's my very last question. Um, Let's just go far ahead to the future. You're 104 years old. You're sitting on the porch of your house. Uh, It's like outside, it's beautiful. Uh, If you're married, you know, you probably are. Your husband is holding your hand. uh, And it's just a very sweet scene. And you're surrounded by children and grandchildren and maybe even great-grandchildren. And one of the younger people says, Grandma, what was awesome what was like best about your life what do you say I feel like I really will go back to the first question you asked me about what I'm deeply passionate about and it's just like my friendships and my relationships because from the the my short 23 24 years that I've been alive and the very little I've learned about life I I lived a lot of my life just going at it by myself and not thinking I needed others. But I feel like Mm. the moment I realized I needed others and actually could receive so much from others was just a huge shift in my happiness and like being present to people, receiving them, letting myself be received. Mm. And yeah, just relationships. I feel like one of my friends talks about how you win life with people. And I feel like I really agree with that. Wow. Um, That's an excellent quote. You yeah. win life with people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a tattoo that says yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Send me a pic. <laughs> so. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Emily. This Thank was you. awesome. Yeah, this is my first podcast experience. So well, it was really awesome. Let's do it again. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.